invite you to open your Bible this morning to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We began a series last week and continuing now in chapter 1, looking at the blessings that we have in Jesus. And just want to encourage you this morning again as we read God's Word together. This is God's, uh, God speaking to you uh, by His Holy Spirit through His Word because God wants us to see and grasp, get uh, what He's done for us and what it means to be a Christian. So that's the title of our our series here, what it means to be a Christian. Let's look together then. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 14. This morning we're going to be looking particularly at verses 7 through 14. This is God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's bow and ask His blessing. Father, we pray now that the Spirit that You've given to us would illuminate, Lord, our hearts so Lord, we can see the truth and hear the truth and receive the blessing that You have for us in Jesus as You reveal it to us now. And we'll give You the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old Sunday school song uh, that I'm sure you're familiar with. Boys and girls might still sing it today. I don't know. Um, it goes like this. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And then you're supposed to say what? Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And I have the love of Jesus down in my heart. And I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. It's a fun song to sing. Uh, I... I just wonder if it's really true. I know that people say Dutch people have the joy, joy, joy stuff so far down that you can't really see it, but <clears throat> is it really true this morning that you have the joy, true deep joy in Christ and the love of Jesus and the peace that passes understanding? Would the people around you say, yeah, that, that describes you as they live with you? Are those the characteristics they see in your life? Love and joy 
and peace. There's a, uh, there's a text in 1 Peter that every time I read through it, it kind of gets my attention because it, 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 it brings up that same question where Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Well, are you? Is that how you describe your Christian life? Do you rejoice throughout your week with joy inexpressible and filled with glory? I think most of us would probably say no. So the question would be, why not? What's wrong? And from Peter's words, we can summarize, I think, that um, a lack of joy and peace and love uh, is rooted in a failure of faith. Uh, Peter says, you love him, you believe in him, and, and believing in him are filled with inexpressible joy and full of glory. So, you see, faith is the engine that drives love and joy and peace. Uh, it's very similar to a marriage. The, the, the more you love one another, right, and, and trust each other, believe in one another, the greater the joy and the peace will be in the marriage. And in a world such as the world in which we live, a world full of sin and, and sickness and trouble and sorrow, if we have meager faith and little love, it's not going to be sufficient to drive the engine of peace and joy. It's like, it's like trying to run a, car, a four-cylinder car engine and you got two bad cylinders. And there's a lot of noise, some smoke, but not much power. And I think a lot of us would maybe say that kind of defines our Christian life. A lot of activity... We're doing the motions, but not a lot of power, not a lot of joy, not a lot of peace, not much that could be described as filled with glory. Well, thanks be to God, there's a remedy for what ails us. Uh, In the gospel, we have a, a guaranteed cure as God reminds us of what he's done for us. Uh, This is a bona fide fix for weary hearts and and discouraged lives, joyless lives. If we want our lives, you see, to be filled with glory, and that's what what is offered to us, we got to be looking at glory, and there's nothing more glorious than what God has accomplished for you in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul is laboring to put before us this morning in the first chapter of Ephesians. He's trying to help these beleaguered believers in Ephesus, surrounded by pagans, in a world that doesn't like them. He's trying to remind them of the incredible blessings that are theirs in Christ Jesus, that they have been chosen before the foundation of the world by God. They have been in love, (coughs) predestined to be adopted as sons. This morning he lays out three more blessings, each introduced in our text by the phrase, in him. If you notice in verse 7, in Him, in Jesus, we have redemption. Verse 11, in Him, we have an inheritance. Verse 13, in Him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So those are the three things we'll be looking at this morning. We have an accomplished redemption, a received inheritance, and a divine guarantee. I need to give credit to uh, Mark Scatura, our intern, for helping me come up with that outline. (laughs) These are the treasures that we've received in Jesus, the things that if we look at them and, and, and grasp them, take them to heart, actually have the power to produce a life of robust, 
love and joy and peace that passes understanding. Well, let's begin with the first and accomplish redemption. In him, we have redemption through his blood. As you, may, as you know, uh, to redeem something is to buy it back. In, in biblical terms, it's to buy it back from bondage or slavery. Uh, redemption is a word of release and rescue and freedom. The, uh, the Old Testament uh, example of this is, of course, the redemption of Israel out of Egypt. They were in slavery, bondage. And God, by his mighty arm, redeemed them, bought them back and rescued and delivered them from that, from that slavery. It'd be, uh, just imagine what it would have felt like to be an Israelite walking out of Egypt when all you'd known was, was slavery. And you're walking out as a free people, led by the hand of God. It, I would imagine it'd be something similar to how the uh, Western Europe must have felt when Hitler was finally defeated and the news was announced, Hitler is dead, uh, Germany has surrendered, consecration camps are opened up, uh, all the, all the uh, German soldiers with all the terror that they present are gone. Freedom. Well, that's exactly what uh, we are supposed to feel as Christians. Because we've received a vastly greater redemption and rescue in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us two things about this rescue, this redemption. Notice in the text, first, it's something that we have. In him we have redemption through his blood. It's, it's, it's present tense. Uh, those who are in Jesus, by faith, are already free. Uh, the, the chains have already fallen off. You are already more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Uh, death has already been defeated. You've already been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light and life. Those aren't things that you're hoping will happen. It's already happened. These are the things that you already have in Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 5, 24, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. When you believe, the moment you believe, you gain this beautiful redemption. And all that it means... That's a stunning thought that you could just take the rest of the week just to consider, to tease out, to chew on. But Paul, notice, also tells us the means of our redemption, that we've been redeemed, we've received all these blessings through his blood. Now, we're used to hearing that. If you've been born and raised in the church, you've heard it a thousand times, but I just encourage you to think about how shocking that actually is. It's a shocking thought. Imagine that you were... Uh, in prison for a crime that you had truly committed, a, a grievous crime, and you had received justly the death penalty. There are men like that on death row today. But one day the warden came to your cell and said, uh, you're free to go. And you said, well, how in the world can I be free to go? I'm on death row. I'm sentenced to die. And the warden said, well, it's never happened before, but a young man came in and uh, he volunteered to die in your place and we've agreed to allow it. Now, wouldn't your mind be full of questions? Who in the world would do something like that for you and why would they want to? What could have possibly motivated this person to do that and, and wouldn't you want to meet the person? Wouldn't you want to thank him? Wouldn't you 
Wouldn't you want to know if there was anything you could do for his family? You see, isn't this exactly what's happened to you and, and me in Jesus? Because we really were sentenced to everlasting death because of our crimes against God. But Jesus, of his own will, by the will of the Father, stepped forward and purchased our freedom by dying, shedding his blood. His blood is the purchase price. So you, you weren't saved just by saying a sinner's prayer. You weren't saved just by believing. You were saved because a man named Jesus went to a cross outside of Jerusalem and was crucified there, bearing the wrath of God that you, that you deserved and purchasing your life. That's, that's how you were set free. 1 Peter 1.18, you were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And, and if that's true, if you understand that that's true, well, wouldn't you want to get to know him? Wouldn't you want to meet him? Wouldn't you want to thank him? Wouldn't you want to live your life for him? It's what's happened to us. You see, the, the, the gospel is meant to, to inspire, if we, if we grasp it, a love for Jesus. The one who truly, literally died in our place. And the good news of our redemption gets even better because Paul, Paul explains what it means, this, this redemption. It, it would be like if the warden lets you out and, and uh, of course, you have no home, you have no transportation, and uh, he hands you keys and it says Lamborghini on it. You say, what's this? He said, well, the young man left you his car. He's from a vastly wealthy family and he's also left you his home. And here's the address and here's the keys of the house. Not only have you been rescued from just death, but you've been ushered into, by this man's act, into a life you could never have imagined and, and never possibly have attained. And Paul wants us to understand that's precisely what's happened to us, of course, multiplied a million times. That in this redemption, we've received the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. The one thing that stands between a convicted criminal and freedom is his crime. And the law says as long as the crime stands, the crime must be dealt with, and it will be dealt with by his death. And if you've done the deed, you can't, you see, there's no way around that. It stands there as an obstacle between you and freedom, an obstacle you cannot remove. But that's exactly, of course, the case with us, isn't it? Our sin, our trespasses. They're not just moral foibles. They're not just mistakes. They actually are crimes against God. And the law really does insist, and the law cannot be broken, that those crimes must be dealt with justly. But Jesus came, and by offering up his obedient life in our place, has accomplished the forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness of your trespasses, we so often say this in generic terms. We even pray it in generic terms. Forgive me my sins. And we have no idea really what we're talking about. It's important for us to think about the reality of our sin. The specific sins that we've committed. 
The real things, your, your impatience and, and anger and lust and pride, your greed, your covetousness, your laziness, your addictions, your failure to love, your failure to be thankful. All the real, very, very grotesque sins that you think and say and do, those are trespasses, violations of the law of God. And, and Paul wants us to recognize that in Christ, they're forgiven the guilt is removed. And they're not just removed in a, in a one-for-one sense uh, uh, that we can maybe think of it. We could, you know, if you owe a debt to someone and someone, you say you owe $1,000 to someone and, and another person agrees to pay that and he writes a check for $1,000 and, and, and now it's paid. Well, Paul wants to understand, it, right? So we owed $1,000 to someone and someone else came along and just dumped the bank on us. The riches are lavish. They're infinite. It's, it's, it's not just tit for tat. Jesus Christ offered up a beautiful, perfect life of obedience and all the grace of God, the infinite grace of God, has been lavished upon us. Our sins are many. His mercy is vastly more. So where sin abounded, grace superabounded. And so we are fabulously, infinitely wealthy with the riches of God's grace. And, and the blessing of redemption does not just accrue to us, it, it accrues to all the cosmos. So Paul says that uh, God has a plan for the fullness of time, verses 9 and 10, to unite all things in him, in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. So that you see, the forgiving of our sins is to the glorious end of God being able to bring you into the wonderful story of cosmic redemption. Because that's the plan, that's what God is after. And your salvation is to bring you into this great, grand, cosmic salvation. The Christian story isn't just about how you can escape the fire of hell. It's the story of God at work in Jesus Christ to redeem everything, to remove every vestige of the fall, every remnant and aspect of sin, and to gloriously make this ruined world beautifully, perfectly new in a new heaven and earth. And the, the defining characteristic of that is that it will all be united in Jesus. It will all be brought under his lordship. It will all be according to his perfect being. Have you ever been uh, to a, a band concert or a symphony when the musicians are warming up? And so uh, you just hear everybody tuning their instruments, and it sounds awful. It's just um, lots of noise, discordant notes. Everyone doing their own thing. But then the director takes the stand and it goes quiet. And maybe they all play the same note. And then he raises his hands and suddenly there's melody and harmony and beauty. And all the discordance that had happened before just makes the beauty and the harmony and the melody all the more glorious. Well, friends, uh, our world today is like the orchestra before the performance. It's defined by discordance. The discordance of disobedience, the discordance of death, everyone doing their own thing. But God's plan in Jesus Christ is to bring to an end every discordant note of disobedience and death and to tune all things in heaven and earth to the resplendent person of Jesus Christ so that everything is in perfect harmony with him. 
And when Jesus takes his stand at the end of time and takes the baton in his hand, suddenly there will be perfect melody and harmony and beauty as all things are united in him and the symphony of eternity begins. That's going to be a good day. A glorious day. And God has invited us into that glorious symphony to be a part of that beautiful new reality as our mind and our heart is perfectly attuned to Jesus Christ the King. Paul says we've received an inheritance, an accomplished redemption, a received inheritance. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice again, present tense, we have obtained. Though we do not yet experience it in fullness, we have obtained the inheritance. We're going to be in the symphony. We're going to experience what God has in store for us. Um, If parents have wealth, they create a will... Uh, in which they uh, determine the inheritance of their children. So this helps understand what Paul means when he's talking about we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will. So when, when parents uh, write their will, they set down their purpose, uh, what, what they want to happen with their resources, their finances, their possessions. And it's all put down in legal writing so that it stands. And, and, uh, but usually the children do not obtain the inheritance until the, children, until the parents die. Right? There needs to be a death before the will is put into effect. Well, that's exactly uh, what's happened in ca- the case of a Christian. You see, um, the gospel announces there's been a death, a death that releases the inheritance. Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross and died in our place, has released for us the blessings of the inheritance. We've obtained it. The inheritance that the Father purposed before time and had written down, it's now been given. We have right now, in union with Jesus, full access to the throne of grace, full peace with God, full forgiveness of all of our trespasses, victory over sin and death and the devil, and assurance of eternal glory. Now, if if those things are true, that should produce some joy. Again, if you think about your life, how fickle and fleeting it is, and, and you think about how weak you are and, and uh, how prone you are to wander and how easily it would be for you to be lost, well, it's really good news that, that you have an inheritance, you've obtained an inheritance that cannot be lost because it's according to the purpose of God the Father that he purposed before all time. And God does everything according to the counsel of his will. And nothing happens outside of the counsel of his will. So you are held in sovereign, eternal, loving hands. That's a really good truth. And when when you feel the weakness of your own heart and the weakness of your faith, you feel the power of your sin. And, and just a note to you, those of you who are younger, the older you get, um, certain sins will fall away, but you're going to realize the reality and the depth of sin more than you ever have. Old people grieve their sin, I think, more deeply and profoundly than, than young people do. I know it's true in my life. Because you just see the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and, and, 
and the weakness and fickleness of your own heart. But that's why it's such a wonderful thing that God has given us a divine guarantee. Not only do we have his word, we have his spirit. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Notice how Paul is striving to give strength and encouragement and joy to his readers. He, he wants them to remember right, when he says, you also, in him you also. Why does he say that? Well, because he's writing to Gentiles. He's writing to many of them who had been just pagans. They would, they'd been worshiping at the altar of Diana and every other pagan god maybe that was available to them. They were without God and without hope. And Paul wants them to know that they also, no matter what their background, they also have received this glorious inheritance. And how did that happen for them? Two steps. First, they heard the word of truth. You also, when you heard the word of truth. It's essential for the salvation of every sinner to hear the word of truth. We can, we can, again, so easily just take it for granted if you've grown up in the church and you've heard the word of truth from your mother's knee. But, but we are surrounded by all sorts of people who don't know the word of truth, have never heard the gospel of salvation. I was just visiting with Joyce Moderman this week. Joyce wasn't raised in a Christian home. She didn't know the word of truth. She assumed that all religions were basically the same. She was a young woman and a um, co-worker invited her to church. And she went to church and she heard the gospel. She heard the word of truth. And God used that word of truth to draw her to himself. And that's how it always happens. People need to hear the truth. They need to hear the word of truth. They need to hear the gospel. It's why we send missionaries. But it's also why we have preachers. And it's also why uh, we as a congregation are encouraged to speak the truth to people. Just read a Bible with somebody. Have a gospel track that you share. Invite them to church like, like Joyce's friend did. Because you see, when people hear the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, the Holy Spirit takes that and ignites that fuel and, and, and it becomes living faith. And that's the second thing we see. You heard, they heard the word of truth and they believed in Him. They believed in Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit, that truth made sense to them. They recognized themselves as the sinner who needed grace. They recognized Jesus as the Savior for their sin. And they came to believe in Jesus. And Paul will explain as we go through the chapter, faith, then you see, is all that's required. By grace we are saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Faith is all that's required. We can, you can say that message to anyone, no matter how lost or hopeless their life might seem. Faith is all that's required. Only believe. And not just intellectual assent, of course, but, but acknowledging with your mind that this is the truth, embracing in your heart that Jesus Christ is all that he said he is and, all, and accomplished all that he said he accomplished. And when that happens, when you hear the word of truth and you believe in Jesus Christ, Paul says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, boys and girls, back in the day, uh, when people wanted to send letters, they wouldn't, uh, uh, they would, they would, they would fold the paper and then they would maybe put it in the envelope uh, and instead of licking the, the, the uh, bad tasting adhesive stuff, um, they would put wet wax on that, on that envelope or on the, on the letter itself and they would 
take um, a piece of wood or iron that had been engraved with an emblem that, re that represented them, and they'd press that into the wax, and that would seal, as the wax hardened, it would seal the envelope and authorize the letter. So you knew it came from the person who signed it at the bottom. It authorized it. Well, Paul says that's exactly what we have in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the seal that validates all that God has promised to us, but it also authenticates that we are truly His as God imprints His image on our life. So God Himself, you see, in the Spirit has come to dwell with us to keep us, guard us, mold us, hold us, doing everything necessary so that we acquire the full inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. You get the sense that your salvation is from beginning to last of God. And it's a beautiful thing. You see, if God the Father has eternally purposed your inheritance, which He has, if Jesus Christ the Son of God has purchased your inheritance, which he has, if the Holy Spirit has come as the divine seal guaranteeing your possession of the inheritance, which he has, you have a Trinitarian irrevocable ground for assurance. You've been saved to the uttermost. What the Father promised must be. What Jesus Christ accomplished shall be. What the Spirit has sealed cannot be fail to be. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God in all of his triune glory has determined and accomplished and sealed your salvation, brother and sister, you're saved. And you can lay hold of it. And that can define your life. Is your weakness real? Yeah, it is. Is your sin grotesque? Yeah, it is. Do you wish you were different? Yes, you do. Do you wish you were more? Of course you do. But all that's passing away. All that is, belongs to the old man. There is a glorious new reality. A new identity. You are the product of a sovereign God who is rescuing sinners like you and making everything new. That is your new identity. And because it's all of God, that's why Paul keeps referring as he's writing this to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. All the glory goes to God. Verse 6, we've been adopted to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, we hoped in Christ to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, we've been given the spirit to the praise of his glory. You see, friends, the deepest source of a believer's joy is not just that we've been saved, as magnificent and marvelous a truth as that is, but that we've been saved in such a magnificent way by such a magnificent God, and it all goes to the praise of His glory. That's the beauty of it. You see, the, the most precious thing about being a Christian is that God has displayed the indescribable glory of His truth and His justice and His mercy, His might, His love, His grace, His goodness and faithfulness in saving sinners like you and me and making us adopted sons and eternal heirs, everlasting displays of the glory of God. So that we will spend time in eternity praising the glory of His grace. That's, that's as deep a glory as a, as a 
as a created being can know, to be a display of the glory of God and to be then invited into the symphony responding in praise to Him. That's going to be the joy of heaven. And it should be the joy of our life. That we live now as those who have been bought by the blood of the Son of God. We've been purposed before the foundation of the world. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And all the blessings that Jesus Christ has accomplished are ours. In fact, as we believe in Him. And friends, if you believe that truth, if you receive that truth, if you take that truth to your heart and let these truths become increasingly the things that you think about, the things you pray about, meditate upon, what's going to happen is you're going to have joy, 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 joy down in your heart. And a love of Jesus down in your heart. And you're going to have a peace that passes understanding down in your heart. Because these things are true. The gospel is true. You've heard the word of the gospel of your salvation and you believed it. May God grant that that faith, as we, as we grasp and cling to, meditate on these truths, produces all these blessings for the glory of God. Amen. Father in heaven, you know our hearts this morning. And Father, we thank you that it is your desire to impress upon our hearts the glories of our salvation. So that, Lord, our minds are not just filled with sports and politics and work and entertainment and pleasure and dividends and relationships and sicknesses, but our mind is increasingly, Lord, filled with the, the infinite blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And that we live as adopted children, adopted in love, made heirs of a vast inheritance, displays of the splendor and the glory of God, and all by the blood of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave his life for us. And Lord, our desire is that we be formed by these truths. And that, Lord, as we are rooted and established in this great infinite love, it would, Lord, produce the fruits of love and joy and peace, patience and kindness, and gentleness and self-control. As, Lord, you imprint your image in our life. And we'll give you the praise. Father, I pray for those this morning who do not know this Jesus that maybe have never heard.